Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Attack of the B-Movies podcast starring your brother from another planet, Johnny. Um, and that's pretty much it, just me. So far, no one, none of you have come forward saying, hey, we want to co-host. Because if you did, I would love it. It'd be great. This episode is going to feature the 1985 classic. Well, I say classic, but when I was a kid, we all loved it. My Science Project. Now, I know a lot of people haven't heard of My Science Project. And it came out in a year full of movies that were like, I guess, science-y, right? Uh, so 1985, you had Back to the Future. You had Real Genius. You had Weird Science. My personal favorite is, well, it's not Back to the Future out because it's, it's a completely different movie. It's a great movie, but just not the same theme. Um, my personal favorite of the group between Real Genius, Weird Science, and My Science Project has always been Real Genius. Val Kilmer's, I think, second role. Maybe his first one was Top Secret, then he did that, did Real Genius, which I'll probably do on here, because I'm sure people consider it a B-movie, but it, it's fantastic. It, it was a really great movie. My Science Project comes out and uh, is directed by Jonathan Butel. Can't really pronounce his last name. I didn't do a lot of research into the director and where he went from there. Uh, produced by, and in fact, when you look on Wikipedia, there's not even a link when you click on his name. It's just, it's just solid black. Uh, it was produced by Jonathan Taplin. And it didn't seem to... I remember it being out. I remember the movie poster. I remember seeing it a long time ago. And I know it was at the theater. And I just don't remember it actually taking off the way you'd, they, they'd hoped. Uh, it, I mean, it holds 14% on Rotten Tomatoes, but then again, only seven reviews are on it. Uh, it was not a success. It made... On its first weekend, it made $1.5 million. Ended up grossing, I think, f about $4 million, and it was only out for two weeks. Anyways, it was, and it's a weird failure because its production company was Touchstone Films and Silver Screen Partners 2. I don't know why the hell the twos are. I'd have to look it up, and maybe one day I can explain it. But it was distributed by Buena Vista distribu Distribution. Any of you that are Disney fans know that that's Disney's distribution arm. It's very rare. Well... Maybe not back in the 90s, but now it's pretty rare for Disney to have a movie that does not at least make its money back or at least make profit, right? So apparently this movie did not. This movie was star. This movie had a... <laughs> Let's see. It was starring uh, John Stockwell. Oh, no, he was in Christine. He was in Eddie and the Cruisers. Uh, City Limits was... So Christine... I mean, there were some other movies like so he that he did that I don't remember, but Christine was based off a Stephen King novel, and a lot of people liked that movie, and I, I thought it was all right as a kid. I'm not a big, huge Stephen King fan, but there's times. Eddie and the Cruisers, I remember him being in that, and that was a pretty good flick. Um, then he was in a couple other small films. I think he was in the North and South miniseries, which was, I believe, about the Civil War. I mean, why else would it be called North and South unless it was about the Cubs-White Sox rivalry? And then he was in City Limits. City Limits is a movie that's been, lim that's been just hammered, or was just hammered on... Mystery Science Theater 3000. And in fact, it, it's just horribly filmed. It's too dark. You can't see what's going on. I, I don't think it's got a horrible story. Maybe I'll do it one day if I can get a decent copy worth watching. But, um, yeah, just not a great movie. Then my science project came out. And he was in other stuff. He was in Born to Ride. He was in Top Gun. I'm not really sure who he played. Maybe just a small, you know, small character. And then he just starts, you know... And it's just B-movies for years. In fact, I think B-movies till the end of his career. I think he's still acting, even. Kickboxer Vengeance in 2016. Armed Response in 2017. He just seems to have made, or like, 
I don't really see any massive hit on there. But, you know, if he's happy doing it, what the hell, right? So anyways, nice science, he was he was uh, the lead in my science project. The female lead was played by um, Danielle Van Zernick, who, after this, played Donna in um, La Bamba, Richie Valen's girlfriend. And she got well-known for that, but she didn't really seem to do much either. She just kind of faded out. She did La Bamba, uh, Under the Boardwalk, if any of you have heard of it. I haven't. Her last film role was actually in a pretty damn good movie called Living in Oblivion. That movie stars um, that movie stars Steve Buscemi, and he's an independent filmmaker. And the guy's like on the verge of a heart attack. I, I remember, I have it on Laserdisc, that's how old it is. It's from 95, but it's a great flick. And I want to say he's like banging some, one of the, the chicks in the production, and he's married, he's unhappy, he's totally stressed out. But it's actually a really well done movie. She was in that, and that was her last movie credit. And her last television credit was... a. TV film called Acceptable Risk. So she didn't really, never really skyrocketed either. But, you know, that happens, right? The third actor that is notable because he plays uh, a pretty important character in it is the. If there was a science fiction movie made in the 80s and early 90s, this guy was in it Fisher Stevens, who oddly enough was born Stephen Fisher, so his stage name is very creative. Most of you know Steve Fisher Stevens from Short Circuit 1. He played the Indian guy that was helping him out. He was born in Chicago, but he's had a slew of stuff. He was in Hackers. Um, and the guy's been acting since 81, inconsistently, too. Flamingo Kid, Short Circuit, Short Circuit 2, um, Hero, Super Mario Brothers. Not really a great <laughs> reference. Hackers, uh, let's see. He's just got a slew of stuff he's done through the years. Not all the A-list stuff, but still, the guy's, you know, been there. And people generally know who he is. And he's much younger than I thought. I think he's only like 53. I thought the guy was in his 60s by now because he's been around so long. So anyways, that's um, the main cast of, of my science, or, or my science project, rather. Interesting to note, the movie t- deals with time travel in a sense. And it was, um, when they went to distribute the movie in Sweden, the, mar- the distributor, whoever it was in Sweden, watched it and said, well, you know, we think we should market this differently than in America. And they marketed it as a mix of Ghostbusters and Back to the Future. They renamed the movie Time Busters. So the legend goes. I think that's pretty much unconfirmed, but that's what I've kind of read in a few places, you know, on the, on the this here Internet's thing. So anyways, the movie starts off in the past, somewhere I want to say after Roswell. So it's, 19, it's 1957, I believe, and they're at a United States... Well, it's a United States military operation to basically secure a crashed UFO that they had brought to um, a hangar bay. There's um, President Dwight D. Eisenhower, isn't it? He's played by an actor named Robert Beer. He enters to see the craft, and he looks around, and, you know, typical what you would look and what you would think, and he just tells the guys there, get rid of it. Uh, So he tells them to get rid of it, which you don't really under... They don't really say if he means, like, get rid of it by, like, destroying it. Get rid of it by disassembling it, reverse engineering it, which, you know, this obviously plays on the conspiracies that have been around for decades. That the ship that crashed at Roswell went to uh, Area 51, which, to be honest, if, it, it probably didn't go to Area 51. Area 51 originally was developed to test a U 2 um, spy plane. But if there was a UFO, and I'm not going to say there wasn't because I, I really don't know. I mean, if there was an alien ship, if anything, it probably went to Wright Patterson Air Force Base. Not the point. 
So we fast forward to 1985, and it's senior year of our main character. His name's Michael, and he's played by John Stockwell. The only thing this guy cares about is muscle cars. It was 1985. Muscle cars were still, you know, a big thing. To me, they're still a big thing, and I'm a car guy. I know it's weird that I do this show and I play video games, but I, I love the sound of a nice nice powerful v8 even a v6 you know nice sounding cars i love speed and all that so his only interest is in muscle cars and he needs to turn something in for his final science class project so now you would think maybe do something about the internal combustion engine something related to cars so he'd have like you know some oh i could do you know something i i, I could do so instead of that well, we also find out he's got um, a friend named Ellie. Ellie's played by Danielle Van Zernick. She's really kind of a nerdy girl who nowadays would be highly in demand because it seems like when I was a kid, there were no real girls that were nerdy and cool and stuff. They were all either nerdy and just weird or I don't know. Anyways, I, I digress. I, I really shouldn't drink before I do these. So she, he, goes, he asks her to go out with him, but she thinks it's a date. and He doesn't really think it's a date. And he drives past what's we find out. Well, it looks like a junkyard, but it's all aircraft and stuff. And in the in the in the Southwest America, for those of you listening overseas, there's plenty of spots where they have aircraft boneyards, right? Whether it's for military jets, commercial jets, failed projects, whatever. There's many of these. Some of them are secured sites because obviously it's all oh, this was a project we worked on. We don't want this to get to the public. Other ones are, hey, I want to buy parts to 747. Mythbusters has visited one numerous times. And there's one there. So he stops there, and I believe he climbs over a fence to get into it because he's like, well, I'll find something in there for his, uh, his science fair project. And I believe he falls, either opens the doors to what's an old fallout shelter that was there, or he falls through the doors. I watched it about three weeks ago, and it obviously not a part that sticks with me. Either way, he finds this hidden fallout shelter, and in the fallout shelter, he finds his plasma globe. Like, it looks like a globe, but, like, it, it really looks like one of those balls that you touch and the lightning comes out. That's what it really looks like. But he finds one of those, and he's like, well, this is something I'm going to use. I'm going to take this from a science fair project. It's going to be great. It's going to look, you know, whatever. So he grabs it, and he's, he's leaving, and a military guard starts chasing him. How the guard didn't shoot him first, how the guard didn't go after him or catch him, I, who knows? You know, that there wouldn't be a movie. So... The next day, he's at auto class, uh, shop, auto shop, and he's um, kind of working on it. He's talking to his buddy Vince, who is Fisher Stevens, and uh, he's cleaning the device up that he found. And he's he starts cleaning it. I don't remember what exactly he does when he's cleaning it up, but he triggers it, and he it starts off, and it starts drawing power from stuff around it. Most notably, there's a boombox that it starts pulling power from, and they notice it, and. Uh, Now's when our hero, Michael, <laughs> I use hero loosely, decides, hey, you know what? I'm going to attach this thing to a car battery because he wants to really see what it does powered up. Plus, he wants to really impress the science teacher who is played by um, Dennis Hopper. Yeah, Dennis Hopper's actually in this. I forgot to mention that earlier. Um, kind of a big thing. He plays a stoned-out hippie or stoned-out ex-hippie science teacher. So not really a surprise seeing how Dennis Hopper is. Not really a stretch. So he wants to impress him. He hooks it up, and it just starts emitting this, like, swirling vortex of color and energy. And when it dissipates, there's an ancient Greek vase there. 
So they're like, all right, well, we don't know what happened. We don't know how this happened. But, of course, they're like, wow, this is great. This is so cool. So they leave auto shop class, and when they're walking out, they notice that uh, two hours of the time is gone, and they've missed their science final. So the whole purpose of him finding this thing was to impress the, um, impress the teacher. They end up missing the final by two, like, by two hours, and they have no idea what happened. So I'm not going to get into every detail, because I try, you know I try to keep these things short, 20 minutes or so, and we're at, what, 13? Uh, so there, other strange things start happening as they're going around with this thing, right? So he decides to take it anyway to the ex-hippie science teacher. And he says, he's like, hey, I found this in this yard. It did this strange thing. This is why we were late. And the teacher tells him, this is a portal to another dimension. So the teacher's name is Dr. Roberts, a.k.a. Dennis Hopper. And they have the thing turned on and it's working. And the teacher, in typical Dennis Hopper hippie fashion, is like, whoa, dude. And he's standing in the cosmic energy of the gizmo and he's, talking about the wonders of the universe and all of a sudden he disappears and all that's left is his peace symbol medallion so now at this point michael's freaking out and so is uh vinny or vince rather sorry and he tries to disconnect the machine and this at this point they plugged it into an outlet so they weren't using a battery anymore and that's why he got all the extra energy to do this so he tries to unplug it and he can't do it so he's trying to figure out what else what to do and they decide okay we're going to destroy the power lines leading to the town before this spreads out of control and takes over the whole town. Very, very original uh, Ocean's Eleven-ish. They destroy the power lines. So they so they were like, okay, we're going to destroy the power lines before it spreads out of control because, it, you know, they don't want to destroy the town, obviously. So Michael's father, Barry, who's played by Barry Corbin, he uh, owns a hardware store. So Michael and Vince go to the back room of the hardware store and they get some dynamite. Then they, they're racing in Michael's muscle car, trying to outrun the energy wave that's traveling along the power. They could see it traveling along the power lines. They want to destroy it before it reaches the power plant. So they blow up the tower, and they cut the power off. And they're like, all right, we did it. We saved the town. So they go back to the town, but when they get there, they're arrested for the disappearance of the science teacher, Dr. Roberts. Well, now, which is really funny to me because... I think you need to be missing for more than a few hours for someone to, you know, be accused of kidnapping you or whatever. So, either way, they're arrested for it. Michael calls Ellie. He says, hey, listen, go to the school, get that gizmo, and I need to, you to bring it to the police department. We need to show it to them to prove that we didn't kidnap or kill them and show what, what's happening. So, there is another character that we see periodically in the beginning of the movie or throughout the movie. His name's Raphael. Oh, no, I'm sorry. His name's Sherman. He's played by a guy named Raphael Sparge. I'm really not sure what Raphael Sparge did. I didn't really look it up. No offense, Raph. Let's see. Let me take a quick look here. Yeah, yeah. He played Caden Alenko in the Mass Effect trilogy. So, there you go. And he uh, voiced Karth Onassi in the Star Wars Knights of the Old, Old Republic game in its sequel. So, okay. Looks like the guy's uh, been around doing some stuff. All right, who knew? And he's been in a shit ton of movies, too. Wow. You, you never know. She runs into him at the school, and he's always wanted to, like, kind of hang out with him. He's always kind of wanted to be the cool, be cool, be with the cool kids and all that. So she runs into him at the, at the school, and she's, she's looking at him, or she's talking to him or whatever. She sees him hooking it up to a power outlet again, and it creates a massive time warp over the school now. So now it's not just, you know, Dr. Robert's house. Now it's a school. They don't explain how this happened since they blew up the power lines to the town, but... I guess maybe there's more than one feed, whatever. 
But this time it blacks out the town itself. During the blackout, Michael and Vince somehow, I'm not going to tell you. See, you, I know sometimes you guys are probably wondering, did he really watch these? Or, you know, I did. But when you try watching so many of them at a time, there's little things you forget, like how they escape from the prison. I know it was during the blackout. I know they escaped. What the detail was, I don't remember. And I'm trying to get a bunch of these done because I have a surprise for you guys for October for when I, for Halloween coming up. It's going to be, if I get it, if I can pull it together, it's going to be awesome. Um, plus, sometimes I just don't want to tell you all the details. I want you to watch it, see what you think. I mean, obviously, it's not an you know, A-grade movie, but regardless. They escape from the police department, and they, go, and they head over to the school. At this point, they see the whole building is just covered in the vortex, and objects and people from the past and the future are, are just blinking into existence and, and deteriorating or disappearing and coming back, and they end up running into Sherman, who's just freaking out, and he he says the world's ending, everything's, you know, Ellie's in danger, the world's ending. So Mike and Vince grab Sherman, and they grab some weapons, because um, <laughs> where else would you find weapons but from a platoon of fallen Vietnam War soldiers who appeared, and that's where they get the weapons. So they head over to the science lab. Uh, on the way to the science lab, they have to battle the T-Rex. Uh, there's a, a mob of post-apocalyptic mutants. Eventually they reach Ellie, and they finally get this thing turned off. So they're kind of like, all right, cool, you know. They're walking out of the building. Everything appears normal. And as they're walking out of the building, emergency crews are showing up. The police are showing up at the scene. And all of a sudden, man, Dr. Roberts appears, man. It's Dennis Hopper at his finest because Dennis Hopper plays the same goddamn character almost all the time. And he, uh, he shows up, and he's talking about his unexpected trip to Woodstock. He's like, Woodstock was awesome, man. You know, he was back where he always wanted to be, you know. Uh, so as now as Dr. Roberts is kind of getting arrested because now the cops are like, what the hell? What now he's here and he's dressed like this and they're arresting him. Uh, he tells Michael he gets an A on his science fair project, but he needs to get rid of the machine because I think the exact quote is it's something mankind is not ready for. And like I said, that's when Roberts is arrested by the sheriff because then now for some reason they think he blew up the power lines because they think he blew up the power lines because Michael dropped the peace medallion that the Roberts was wearing at his dad's hardware store. Michael lives up to the promise. He goes back to where he found the machine and he puts it away back where he found it. And as they're driving away, his car breaks down. To me, I'm watching this like, oh man, they're leaving this open for a sequel or did he? is there another scene where he didn't fix something? Car just breaks down. So... They're standing there. It's him and Ellie because now they're now they're seeing each other for the most part. I mean, it, it really seems like they finally they get together finally in this at the end of this movie. He ends up spending the rest of the night with her because his car breaks down, and she says, "What about the car?" Because he says, "Let's walk," and he just looks at her and says, "It's just a car," and that's pretty much where it ends. So, as movies go, it, it's a typical '80s sci-fi movie. You know, and that's, that's what I think we don't have now. Like, everything is a cookie-cutter horror film. Everything is a cookie-cutter... No, I mean, granted, this movie didn't do well, but Real Genius did fairly well. And Weird Science did well. We, we need to make films like this to get kids... I know it sounds really stupid and corny, but to get people like kids, teenagers, like, oh, I can relate to this guy. Oh, there is more to life than just this one thing, you know? That's just my personal little gripe and opinion of it, of the, the everything around, but... But yeah, that that's uh, my science project. Not a, I don't think a horrible movie. I don't think it's a great movie. I think Real Genius is leaps and bounds ahead of it. In fact, maybe I'll do that one next because I've watched that movie. Like I watch that movie 
God, I must have seen it 800 times. I'm not even kidding. I'm 40 years old. It came out in 85, and I've been watching it since, I don't know, 1987 or 88. Because I know I didn't, I don't remember if I saw it when it first came out. I may have seen it on like Cinemax or something or HBO. But I, I watch that movie all the time. But this, it's a, it's a fun, it's a fun enough movie. It, 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 it really, there's aspects of Bill and Ted, which I believe comes out after this in it. There's aspects of the other, movies like real genius and it's a cold war era movie so you know and america was just not far out of vietnam so you have the, the vietnam soldiers uh you have the the teacher that's the hippie because i mean the 60s and the late 60s early 70s was not far away from the time period i mean i remember growing up as a kid in this decade and i'm super glad i did i mean at the time i was kind of like eh but looking back on stuff it's it was a great time to kind of grow up i mean the technology changes and stuff and that's what these movies showed is look what the future could hold right luckily in some cases it doesn't but enough of my dissertations tonight i enjoy it i don't think it's great if it's on i'll watch it i'm not going to go by like the blu-ray 4k release of it you know it, it's fine on dvd it's it downloaded whatever streamed it's a good it's a good enough popcorn flick. It, it's a it's a decently fun watch. And you know, Dennis Hopper is Dennis Hopper, so he's fun watching the few scenes he's in. And um yeah, that's it. So uh my big hopefully thing announcement is that for Halloween I plan on doing a whole series of horror films because I've been asked why I don't do a lot of horror movies. I do mainly sci fi. And there's a few reasons. One is sci fi is my thing. I really love science fiction. I, I love the fact that science fiction pushes the boundaries of your mind and doesn't just scare you right like sci-fi horror i think is fantastic because they take some the ocean like deep star six which might be one i do or leviathan or or um or space like um like event horizon and they put you in a place that we know virtually nothing about and then so many movies are oh look how nice the ocean is or oh look how we live in space when they do sci-fi horror, they're taking something that we're told is going to you know, be the future and saying, this could happen also. And I really love it. But I do love horror movies. Not, I hate saying it this way, not so much any of them in the last 20 years. And you guys probably pick up on that from the movies I do on here, right? I mean, eventually I'll start doing more modern B-movies. I just need to really kind of get into them. I, to me, a lot of horror now is just splatter effects. and Like, I don't mind it when it's cheesy, right? Or like when you know it's over the top, like Ash vs. Evil Dead, I think it's fantastic. It's to me that's the best show, one of the best shows on. I would watch that instead of Walking Dead or Game of Thrones any day of the week because it's fun. There's enough shit in life that I don't need to watch something that depresses me, you know. But most movies I see that are horror now, I'm like, oh look, another saw. You know, they kind of did that stunt in Sleepaway Camp. You know, it's not really that original. So for me. I love the, the cheeseball horror movies from the 50s, the ones from the 60s, and the 70s and the early 80s, even up through the early 90s. You know, I will say Scream to me is, was one of the f- best horror movies I'd seen in a long time when that came out. So that's the announcement, is that for October, look forward to a slew. I'm not going to say how many, because I really don't know how many I can watch and record in that time. I'm going to get started as soon as I do more, a few of these for the rest of September, because yeah, I'm so far behind. I mean, you guys haven't heard me in what, a month, month and a half? Either way, I'll be back with more. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy it, I, or, or some of you get to watch them when they get moved to YouTube. 
because I'm affiliated with my good boy, my good friends over at squabblebox.co.uk. Fantastic w- website with some fantastic guys running it. They do some fantastic reviews, some fantastic videos. They're great. Check them out. And uh, I'll talk to you later. Thanks and bye. <laughs>